Bart, I've asked you not to whistle that annoying tune. Welcome back to the normal theme music of Simpsons is Greater Than, a podcast where we take a look at the cultural impact and everything else that has to do with everybody's favorite nuclear family. You know who it is by now. As always, I'm your host, Warren, better known to some of you as Bart of Darkness. You might have seen my Simpsons collection on Instagram and Twitter. Be honest, it's great, isn't it? Go ahead and say it's great if you want to. But if not... When you're done with this episode, you know what to do. Go check it out. As always, I want to thank you guys for joining me again this week for episode 13. And this episode is an interview with Jay Kogan. Jay was one of the first writers hired on The Simpsons, and his name is on some absolute classics. Jay has also worked on Frasier, Malcolm in the Middle, and a ton of other stuff that you like. And he has some really awesome stories about his time Simpsons. So let's listen to Jay talk about all that. Episode 13. Let's go. Okay, Jay Kogan. Thank you so much for joining me today, man. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, man. I'm, I'm happy to have you. It's going to be great. Um, I want to know, uh, what is your number one way to pass the time in quarantine this year? Wow. Number one way to pass the time. I mean, it's got to be eating food, all kinds of food all the time. I, I have, I literally tracked, I've gained 30 pounds over the over the quarantine. I'm working on that same thing, I think. And I was already heavy to begin with. So now I have to get it all off. Well, it's, it's funny because uh, early into quarantine, you know, my wife and I were cooking a lot and we were, you know, eating a little healthier. And I was like, Hey, you know, I'm actually, I think I'm losing a few pounds. This is pretty great. And then, you know, you get to a point where you're just like, oh my God, who cares? Let's just make, you know, some burgers or something. Right. So then a bit towards the end of it, now I think I'm making up for all that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, the other night we were eating salads all day. And at the end of the evening, my wife just said pizza. <laughs> oh, I definitely, trust me. I'm the one that's screaming pizza. I'm definitely, I might do pizza tonight. You know what I mean? Got to watch that uh, season 32 premiere. Good for you. Yes. It's very <laughs> exciting. Yeah, it's awesome. It's been 32 seasons. It's insane. It's 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 actually insane, I think. Um, well, I, I want to know, uh, when did you know that you wanted to write comedy? And also, tell me your history with Wally Walidarski and how you started writing together. I'd like to hear all about that. Well, I never wanted to write comedy, ever. And I fell into it because I guess I wasn't a good enough comedian or actor to be that. <laughs> So then I started writing um, with Wally Walidarski and uh, we sort of uh, did some good stuff. Uh, the big history is Wally Walidarski used to be Mark Wallace um, when I went to high school with him. He was a high school buddy of mine. And we were, we'd spend all days together. We'd see movies together. We were just very good friends. And we'd always get summer jobs together. And one of the summer jobs I got was a, in, as a runner on on a TV show called It's Gary Shandling Show. So I brought him on, like they needed somebody said, oh, I got a guy and it was my friend, Mark. And so we were hanging out there and then together we just said, yeah, we should try writing one of these and see if we could do this. It doesn't, 
it seems like it's, you know, we've seen, we're, we're in the writer's room. We sort of saw how they do it. We, said, we, get, we got the tone of this. We'll, we'll try it. So we tried writing a version of the show that we were on and uh, it, it did well, but it didn't get bought. And then we wrote another one, which also did well, but didn't get bought. But that got sh shown to another producer who was on the show called Sam Simon, who also worked as an executive producer on another show called It's uh, the Tracy Ullman Show. And so he got us over there. We got read and then they hired us to write a sketch. They liked our sketch and they said, OK, you're hired as staff writers. And then we started writing staff on that show. And over time, Tracy Ullman show, uh, you know, bore The Simpsons. And when The Simpsons was about to become a TV show, Sam Simon said, hey, we want you and Wally to, to write on this show with us, uh, Matt, Matt and Sam. And I said, great, let's do it. And amazing. everyone I knew said, don't do it because it's a cartoon. <laughs> That's amazing. Or a step down from this Emmy winning live action uh, sketch show. <laughs> uh, but we thought it would be fun. And... Uh, we thought, well, you know, what do we got to lose? Even if it sucks, we're still, nobody's <laughs> in the business, so who cares? But right. uh, it worked out well. <laughs> so so what, you're, what you're telling me is that the secret to being funny is to just try not, to not try to be funny. Uh, well, that is one of the secrets of being funny is, you know, you can't <laughs> force it. That is true. But uh, no, the secret of, uh, I, none of what I said was about being funny. All of what I said was about getting a job. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a separate thing. I guess Trying so. to be funny is a uh, is a whole other ball game, and that just takes um, uh, a sense of humor, I guess, and a, you know a developed sense of humor. Everybody thinks they have one, and everybody does have one, but not all of it is transferable to a wide variety of people. No, yeah, I mean, just spend spend a couple hours on Twitter, you'll see how unfunny some people uh, really are. Um, well, I, I know also that uh, your dad worked for Mad Magazine. I've heard you talk about that a little bit. Um, what yeah, my, my, my dad, not, not only for Mad Magazine, he worked for, you know, he was a, a television, he, he wrote for comics, he wrote for variety shows, he wrote for sitcoms, he wrote for uh, he's had three Emmy Awards, he's a very successful, popular comedy writer, and uh, so growing up in Los Angeles with a comedy writer, I saw what comedy writing could be, and did not look fun. <laughs> um, and so I didn't want to do it because it looked really hard. And my dad was in his office a lot and it was lonely, hard work. Um, and uh, nothing has dissuaded me from that opinion over working as a comedy <laughs> writer for 33 years. But the hardest part of being a comedy writer isn't making jokes. It's finding good stories. Right. Well, that's, you know, that's actually a great lead in uh, to my next question, which is with all your experience, uh, what do you think is key to a good story? Wow, a key to a good story. Well, is it interesting? <laughs> is it? Is it? Uh, does it mean anything to you? What is the? What is? The, what's the interesting thing that's going on in the story that's sort of happening in your life, or at least you've experienced, or you're worrying about? If it's relevant to you and the people that you think are are living it in the current generation, if it feels new or like there are no new new stories, but if there's a new twist on a story or a new angle on it, or you have some wisdom to bring to an issue, that's good. Um, and good conflict. I mean, holy shit. I mean, you can't do a story without, without opposing sides and conflict. And the conflict on the other side has to be reasonable. It can't just be, you know, 
marauders, <laughs> you know, the, the people, people fighting your hero have to have their reasons too. So I don't know. It's a, it's a complicated thing. And, but it's very narrative storytelling is very cathartic to people and very fun to tell when you get it right. And you have to constantly keep tweaking it and changing it to make the story worth hearing. Right. Well, you know, I'll say it, Jay, you do a great job of that. I'm a huge fan of a lot of your work, not just on The Simpsons, but just beyond. And, you know, it's really cool to hear that from you. Thank you. I uh, I don't know what you've seen, but I will say being a TV writer also is a group effort. So anything that you have seen with my name on it was also passed through the hands and eyes and brains of many, 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 many other people all the time. Absolutely. I worked on from the Tracy Ullman show to Frasier to to Malcolm in the Middle, to uh, Simpsons, all a giant group of people, really smart, really funny people right? who have contributed to it, changed it, made it better, made it different, you know. So as a group, I thank you on behalf of this large group. Yeah. I, you know, and that's, that's a thing that, you know, obviously as a child, I, you know, you never realize, you don't even really read the names of a lot of the things when you're a kid. And I think one of the most fun things about growing up with The Simpsons for me as a fan, a collector, whatever, is, you know, digging deep into those writers and to the people that worked on the show across the board and learning, you know, this person's name might be on the script, but one of the funniest jokes was written by this guy. Like, oh, I remember George Meyer, you know, pitched this joke. And I just love hearing those stories. So that's 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 something that a lot of people don't realize. I love hearing that, too. Yeah, they, I mean, so many I work with so many really talented, funny comedy writers, starting with James L. Brooks. And the Simpsons working my way to Al Jean and Mike Reese and George Meyer and Jeff Martin and John Vitti and, you know, Wally Wolodarski and, and David Stern and, and Conan O'Brien. And uh, there were so many, John Schwartzwell, there like so many really smart, funny, wonderful people. Um, and, you know, some of them are still there. Some of them are yeah. still working on that show, which is amazing. It is. And, you know, I love hearing too, because, you know, I've, I've had Al on. Um, I had Mike Scully on, I've had a lot of, you know, some other writers on and I love how quick everyone is to remind me or anyone really listening, uh, that it is such a group effort and it's all, it takes all of these minds and all of these people working in tandem to, to make the show that we love, you know, I think that's great. Well, the Simpsons is a perfect example of it because there's something about society or life that we want to pick one person and say, it's that person's brain and they're amazing. And that's, and in this particular case, Matt Groening it's Matt Groening's Simpsons. So Matt Groening gets, you know, conceivably all the credit to a lot of people. And right. while Matt is a very talented, interesting, funny guy, there were lots of other people who helped uh, along the way and, and helped, you know, create it and made it different and all that stuff. But even, and Matt has said it himself. So it's not speaking out of school. He, oh, he sure. gives much credit to, to Sam Simon and to Jim Brooks and to all the writers and all that stuff. And, and it's not one person. It's not even one main person. It is a lot of people. You know, I grew up being a Star Trek fan. And I always thought, Gene Roddenberry. Oh, my gosh. Gene Roddenberry. He's... <laughs> and then where I dig into it, it goes, oh, it's not just Gene Roddenberry. It's a whole slew of these people who have written it and made it great. And, you know, it's the one guy who the press writes about isn't necessarily the guy who is uh, the be all and end all. That's all. Right. And and I do I do think that we are you know getting to a point you know with the internet being what it is where people are starting to see that I actually love you know seeing that people are digging deeper into that and and not just you know people like me but 
I think Twitter and even Instagram have allowed people to sort of get to know all these people a little bit better that have worked on the show. Yeah, but I, but but there's still something about the human instinct to sort of uh, I don't want to say hero worship, but there's some something that sort of they say, wow, there. If you like something, that person is set above. You know that that there's uh, the, the idea that there are no better guitar players than Keith Richards is silly. <laughs> Um, he's great, but there are lots of great guitar players who just didn't, you know, land in the right place at the right time to make a, a rock and roll band like the Rolling Stones. But, you know, there's plenty of great guitar players, plenty of great uh, people who do that stuff. And it's not exactly magic. There's some magic, but it's not exactly magic. There's definitely hard work and skill and, um, and, and luck, a lot of luck to be the one who becomes Keith Richards. Yeah, a lot, a lot of luck. Well, you know, you you talk, you touched on it a little, but you know, you, I know that your dad and several other of your friends and colleagues uh, told you not to write for a show like The Simpsons for an animated show. They told you it would, you know, ruin your career. What was it like to hear that, and what made you want to do it anyway? Well, I mean, we were talking with a guy, Grant Tinker. I don't know if you know who Grant Tinker is, but Grant Tinker was at one point Mary Tyler Moore's husband, but he was the executive producer of all these fancy shows that were going on in the late 70s, uh, mid 70s. The Bob Newhart show, the Mary Tyler Moore show, wrote a, he had, ran a company called MTM. And he was known for being classy and, and uh, uh, there was St. Elsewhere was one of his shows. And then later on, he was running NBC. He became a president of a network. And I had a meeting with him after he was the president of the network and, he, and Wally and I did. And he, we said, well, what are you thinking of doing now? And uh, we were leaving the, Tracy Allman show, and we're saying, well, we're thinking of, of doing this cartoon show, The Simpsons. And he said, look at all the Emmys behind me. Look at everything I've done. Look at all the, if you believe at all that I know anything I'm talking about, do not do a cartoon. Like, <laughs> that was a heavy advice to two punk kids who didn't know what the hell we were doing. Um, <laughs> but we rejected the advice, not because we're geniuses, but because honestly, it seemed like fun. And our buddies were working on it. And we thought, okay, well, if, we, if it turns out really shitty, we won't be blamed. We're too low on the totem pole. Um, <laughs> and uh, we'll just find, hopefully find something else. Right. But yeah, well, a lot of people were saying don't do it, including my, my dad. But to be fair, nobody thought a primetime cartoon would work in the, that era. It was 1990. It hadn't happened in decades. And it was only crappy ones that were out. and no one could foresee uh, primetime animation being what it is now. No, no, no. And, and, and that's, you know, another thing that I've talked to several people about that I think is so interesting is there was no way to know that it would be this massive success. I know that a lot of people sort of thought, you know, after every year, like this could be the last year, we might get a couple more years. And that year we thought we had 13 episodes. We thought really we had 13 episodes and we were over. That's really what we thought. Like, that's it. We're going to make 13 episodes. We'll do the best we can. We'll make it as good as we can for us. And then that'll probably be it. And that was fine. You know, that was like, okay, 13 episodes and we'll go on to the next thing. Who sure. knew it would be, you know, 32 seasons, 33 seasons. Nobody, nobody would have guessed. Once we premiered and it was a gigantic hit, we were not thinking that we were going to be canceled. There was nobody, nobody at the Simpsons thought we were going to be canceled after we premiered. I don't think I sold it. Um, nobody there. I have anybody saying that. If Al Jean's right. saying that, he's not speaking the truth. It's, um, 
Although he might be speaking his own personal truth because he, <laughs> he's a little bit of a warrior. But um, no, Al. Al actually seems like he like he's the one that was like you know I I sort of did believe in it. You know I can't say that, but you just hear stories about how like every you know you just never knew like because back then you know five six seasons of a show was like a really good run. So just you never would could have predicted. At the end of the first season. It was a it was a massive success. There was T-shirts are being sold on the streets, and it was a it was a a, a thing. I mean, it could have been a, a fad, but even that fad you could ride for t- five years. You should be able to ride that like gigantic hit fad for a few years before it gets canceled. Oh yeah, but um, nobody would have guessed that it's thirty two, thirty three years uh, now that they're making. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And I, I've said before, I, I'm the same age as The Simpsons. I was born the same year it premiered on Tracy Ullman. You know, it was there for me, you know, my whole life. And there were points where I dipped in and out of watching the show, but it, it is like this constant thing. So it is crazy to think that um, it's been there the whole time. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be going away <laughs> at some point. And you'll have that moment of like, oh, no, you know, McDonald's is closing. <laughs> How did McDonald's close? Like, I thought it would always be here. Um, you know, and things like that. I'm old enough, you know, I'm in my fifties. I'm old enough to have seen things that I thought would always be here go away. And you go like, wow, things are very impermanent. (laughs) Things that were very permanent are very impermanent. So that's true. Airlines close down and networks close down and, you know, it's, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. Things, things go away. Well, you know, you mentioned that you wrote for the Tracy Ullman show, uh, also, and I have to imagine it was sort of surreal to have been there in those early days and, you know, watch the show actually begin. Yeah. I mean, the Tracy Owen show was its own interesting experience. It was, as I said, my first job as a writer on a show and the first job you, when you, when you start out young, um, I was 22 or 23. You think, you know, everything it's, uh, it's the opposite of what you think it would be, which is like, you come in, he's like, I don't know anything let them teach me. But no, you have a really strong sense of yourself and your sense of humor. This is how it's going to be. And this is what's going to work. And this is what's funny. And over time that gets, you know, beaten out of you because you don't know what's going to work and you don't know what's funny and nobody does. You just <laughs> take your best guess. But right. we did work on sketches and see them and performances and run throughs and see how the actors work things and change things. And when we show the show in front of a live audience, we would play these interstitial animation bits. Uh, at first, it wasn't Mad Grannings. It was other people. It was uh, Bill Plimpton and some other people had interesting uh, animation shorts. Uh, and, but then when it became The Simpsons, the audience really la- responded to it, and they laughed at it a lot. And uh, Jim Brooks, being no fool, said, this could be a show. Um, and then we actually strung a bunch of them together as a reel and showed them to the audience, and it got bigger laughs than the show, than the Tracy Ullman show. So everybody thought, this is going to be, <laughs> this this could really be something. At the very least, it's not a bad idea to try. Right. There, There's an interview uh, that you and some other Simpsons writers did a few years ago with uh, Conan O'Brien. You know the one I'm talking yeah. about? Sure. Um, and, and there's a there's a quote from you in that that I really, really like, and you say something along the lines of, you know, we were writing a cartoon that wasn't really a cartoon. Um, what, can you give a little context as to what you mean by that? Well, we were, we were told this was, this was structure given to us by Jim Brooks, Sam Simon, and Magrani that we were writing a sitcom. We were trying to write characters and put them in story situations that had not realistic, but real issues and stories and the real family dynamic. 
and other rules that that uh, uh, our characters could not violate the rules of physics, like Bugs Bunny cartoons. If somebody falls down a cliff, they're really falling down a cliff. If somebody <laughs> gets smashed in the face with a shovel, they go to the hospital. You know, like this is not a cartoon logic. It's got to be real logic. So we did try to write a live action, I mean, a real show using all the tools of a cartoon, which means that you can write for many, many different characters, more characters than you could afford to pay in real life, more locations than you could afford to build in real life, <laughs> uh, more special effects than you can afford to do in real life. So, so basically, we had a live action concept with a budget of a major motion picture. So each one, we could do whatever we wanted and really make it filmic and really make it great. Um, so that's what we were trying to do. We weren't trying to make a cartoon. We were trying to make a show, a show that, right. that, that you cared about the relationships, you cared about the characters. You Sure, you found them funny, but you found some core of emotion underneath that was worth tuning back into. Do you, do you think that that's what really made the show work? Do you, do you think secretly that is why it's still around? I think that's part of what made the show work. I mean, we got a very disheartening report from Fox research about the second or third year we were at the Simpsons. That's where we thought we were really writing smart, funny shows filled with jokes, like filled, oh, yeah. filled with jokes, like jokes on the screen, jokes in people's mouths, background music jokes, jokes everywhere that you such that you'd have to watch it several times to get all the jokes. And we thought, okay, well that we give America props for being smart enough to want to watch something and be, and get the jokes and think it's cool. And Fox gave us a report saying that the reason people like The Simpsons is the pretty colors and that Homer falls down. And then we thought, oh, that's why we're staying up till three in the morning to make it perfect is so that people can see the pretty colors. But I think, <laughs> I think that, that it, it was innovative in that it was so fast and furious and told a quick story and the story structure was melded in a weird way where Act one and act two and three were not necessarily together. So it felt like you were getting a lot. You were getting one story, then another story. You were getting jokes and, and people, it was new and exciting and, and, uh, and great then. And then over time, people just got used to that. And so now it's just what people expect from The Simpsons. Um, and so people rag on The Simpsons now as being not good or not as good because but it is just as good as far as I'm concerned. I right. haven't seen this lazy, but every time I check it out, I'm always laughing. I'm always aware of a good story. I'm always aware of good art and good direction and really funny, interesting things. And it's just like, you know, people got used to the good food at the good restaurant. Right. And they take it for granted. I, you know, one, another reason I started this podcast is I'm, you know, I'm a huge advocate for newer seasons. Um, I, I think that there's something to love in every era of The Simpsons, regardless of which one you prefer. And uh, I agree. And I don't think you have to choose. Like you can watch all of it. It's like, hey, I watch, you know, I think South Park's genius. And I think Family Guy is genius. And I think, you know, there's a million different varieties of shows and cartoons that are great. You don't have to be a connoisseur, right. pick and choose, or be a snob, let's say. You can be a connoisseur, but don't be a snob. And open yourself up to what's good from everywhere, including older seasons of a show that you you, you used to love as a kid. I guess it's, it's hard. It's hard when you're a kid and you fall in love with something to keep that love 
the same. It's hard for me watching Star Wars now. I loved Star Wars when I was 12. And <laughs> and I get it. I got it then. And then every incarnation after that was like, eh, that feels <laughs> not for me. Same thing with James Bond. Like James Bond felt amazing. And now it feels a little stilted. So sure. even as I grow older, it's harder for me to sort of love it the same way. But I can appreciate I can watch Goldfinger again and go like, yeah, I know why I loved it when I was 11. You know, <laughs> I get it. Well, a lot of what it is, I think, is I, I try to tell people you don't have to compare them to like them. Like you can like the, you know, the golden age for what it is and you can like newer seasons for what they are and realize that, you know, humor, humor changes and you can you can love it all for different reasons. You don't have to like have a graph where you say, oh, well, this one's pretty good, but it's not as good as this one. Like that doesn't really matter. And I think that's what people humor do. Changes, humor changes, but also we change as we grow our tasting. We know the older we get, we know uh, the, the end of stories because we can figure them out for ourselves. We sure. see the jokes coming because we can figure them out for ourselves. The, the experience of having watched a lot of TV makes watching more TV a little less fun. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, so you have to be surprised. That's why, you know, something every now and then something new comes along like game of Thrones or something where everybody goes like, this feels new. And I, I don't know what's coming. You're going to kill off, you know, somebody very important right at the beginning. That's new. That's weird. You know, that, so they, they do that kind of stuff and it feels different. And then over time that will feel old hat. Right. Oh, it always does. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, do you have a favorite character to write for or what, what is, you know, what do you gravitate towards? Well, the easiest character and the funniest character to me was always Homer. I mean, it's the stupider he got, the more fun he was to write because <laughs> he could just be really, really dumb. And there's no, nothing more fun than to write a dumb character. <laughs> uh, I used to like write Lisa because you know she was smart. She she didn't strike me as funny as Homer, but and and Marge too, all good. Bart was the really hardest one to write for me because you know he's supposed to be cool, he's supposed to be mischievous, uh, but you know I don't know what that is. I couldn't, I can't bottle that. I don't know exactly what cool and mischievous is. I know what my favorite Bart jokes are when Bart is dumb and when Bart is not. Again, again, dumb is easier and dumb is funnier. Um, you know, bravado, I guess, I always thought that the scenes where he had bravado were good, but not funny. They didn't laugh out loud at his bravado. He used to right. laugh out loud at his mistakes. So those, and of course, all the side characters that we helped create. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Dr. Nick Riviera. I'm a big fan oh, yeah. of who we created. We created uh, uh, Mr. Burns and Smithers and, and all these guys who I, I love those characters. Now I say we created, they appeared first in our script, but they were enhanced greatly by all the other writers on the show. So yeah. I didn't create the guy who's an accident. <laughs> you know, that's, I created a boss, an evil boss. And then those details came later. Yeah. I, I love, I, you know, it's interesting to hear too. Like when I talk to artists and stuff, uh, they say that Burns is one of their favorite characters to draw. Like he's just yeah. such a interesting looking person you know yeah and it's so funny like you know i mean he's got such physicality that that's so funny that he's so weak and old and <laughs> over, but yet so full of anger and life you know it's 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 pretty fabulous it's it's really great um well you know i want to talk about some of your episodes a bit um i know that the the first completed 
script of the show is credited to you and Wally, uh, which is Homer's Odyssey, uh, directed by the great Wes Archer. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you break it down, it's actually a pretty dark story about Homer feeling like a failure and, you know, feeling like he can't be the person his family needs. Uh, you know, what are your memories of working on that story and how much, you know, how much did it change in the rewrite room? Um, I remember pitching out the story with, it was a very skeletal skeleton crew back then. It was really just Sam and Matt and me and Wally and it went through, uh, Jim Brooks, I think proved the outline, but it wasn't, we sort of writing in a vacuum and we didn't know quite what the show was, um, cause no other scripts existed. So we were kind of making it up as we went along. So that was a little bit like walking on a high wire, trying to sort of meet the expectations of what Matt and Sam were hoping for and what Jim Brooks was hoping for. And we were also being freed to write whatever we wanted, any kind of jokes we wanted based on, we weren't hindered by the amount of sets or the amount of shots or any of that kind of stuff. Right. So uh, we sort of went dark and we went big and we went, you know, getting home. We wanted to introduce the power plant. So that was a big thing of ours. We tried to figure out how to introduce the power plant. So that's how we created Smithers, who was giving a little film for the power plant. And uh, <laughs> uh, we we had have actually toured the San Onofre nuclear power plant as a as a show at one time. Oh wow! To sort of see what it was like there, and um, we were hoping that it would be like Homer's nuclear power plant, like this crazy hodgepodge. But it was really nice and safe and wonderful and like you know poor <laughs> nuclear power industry we just shit all over them but we really didn't <laughs> we didn't have to but it seemed more funny to make a three-eyed fish than to not make a three-eyed fish. of course but yeah we were sort of making fun of the zeitgeist of whatever we could in that moment the zeitgeist of fatherhood the zeitgeist of family shows homer sort of committing suicide or trying to commit suicide is a, is a big place to go but we think we kind of we tried to earn it we didn't just do it. We tried to earn it. Um, and uh, I was proud of that show. I don't think it's our best show, but I was proud of it. Oh, it's a great one. And it grew exponentially when it got in the hands of eventually Mike and Al and these other guys who came on board after. And they sort of said uh, they had a more cohesive, everybody had a more cohesive plan of how we we're going to do this. So it got straightened out afterwards. Well, that's that's one thing about, you know, a lot of the earlier ones that that I've heard in recent years, people say they really um, are attracted to is how some of it is more dark. It's never been more obvious, you know, that that it wasn't just made for kids than in some of those first season episodes. And I I love that dark edge. I really do. Yeah, Well, that was also one of the goals was to was to make sure that it was not a kid show. And we weren't ever thinking that it would be a kid show ever. Uh, it was shocking to us when we heard kids, you know, like you. We're watching it uh, when it was first on. We're like, holy shit, how is that possible? It's horrible. You know, it's very, it's filled <laughs> with stuff kids shouldn't see. But I guess parents were bad and uh, they let kids watch it. And I would always tell people, don't let your kid watch this show, but to no avail. Well, I, I always, I've told this story before, but, you know, I, uh, I had divorced parents and uh, my mom worked a lot of nights. And so I just, I think I just got a free pass on it. And, uh, you know, I was so young, like I said, I, I, I don't, obviously nothing really stuck to me until I was probably five. Right. Um, so, you know, 91, 92, but my brother was watching it from the beginning. He's older than me. And, you know, I, the story goes, I was right there with him. I have photos in the Bart pajamas, you know, like in right. the very early days. And, um, so, 
you know, I'm, I'm glad that my mom, you know, and by the time she sat down and watched it, she thought it was funny and she just, she let it go. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. Good. Well, that's nice. I mean, I don't think it, it didn't ruin you. No. <laughs> well, that's debatable. Maybe yeah. it did. <laughs> I don't know you well enough, so maybe it did. <laughs> nah, nah, I'm, I'm okay. Um, so is, is it true that, I want to talk about Lisa the Greek, is it true that it was sort of inspired by the writer's love of gambling on football? Because I definitely relate to that heavily. Yes. I mean, we were very much gambling on not just football, everything. So Sam Simon it was a big gambler, and he had a bookie. And he gave his bookie to us. I would use his bookie. Um, George Meyer was a big gambler. Al Jean loved to bet on football. Uh, I believe Mike did. Mike did it as well, but he wasn't as big a football fanatic uh, as as Al. Um, but yeah, we we bet on baseball games, basketball games, you know, anything that we want to bet on. We uh, have trips to Vegas. I mean, I remember watching the Super Bowl with George Meyer when his team, I think it was the Denver Broncos, was losing, and he had an enormous amount of money on the Denver Broncos. It was like, no, oh, watching him pull his hair out. <laughs> um, yeah, we were we were betting, and I learned at that show what it was like to bet against the line versus just betting win to lose. You know, who's going to win, who's going to lose? But oh, yeah. a pool, which was small change compared to the actual betting that was going on, the football pool. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, Lisa the Greek was a little bit inspired by all that betting. And, and you know, we're not alone. I mean, it's a gigantic industry. The betting oh. industry is gigantic. So. Yeah, and I, I say that as I'm like, you know, um, as I'm looking down at my phone at, you know, at fantasy football and, and all of this shit, just wanted to beat my brains in. I'm also, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, so I know a lot of pain. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I, yeah, I just, I understand. When I first got to Jacksonville, right? Oh, yeah. Really yeah. good in the beginning. Yeah. yeah Up and down that. since then. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm in a fantasy football league as well. And I How are you doing so far? Uh, one, one and one. We're one and one. Yeah. Three of my, uh, you know, this is, this is a little inside, but uh, three of my receivers uh, got injured week one. So I think I'm just fucked. Yeah. You could be. <laughs> uh, you know, good. Hey. Go, go, go use the wa- waiver wire. Go, go. Get I'm trying. Guys. I'm, I'm trying. I got Michael Thomas really screwed me though. Um, <laughs> it's hurting me bad. Um, but anyway, no one cares about my, my money loss to, to football. Um, we have to talk about last exit to Springfield. Uh, one of anyone's favorite episodes. If you're, if you're listening to this, I guarantee it's one of your favorite episodes. If not, maybe you're just stupid. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it's sort of insane how many parts of that episode are iconic. You know, Lisa's hallucinations, the monkeys on typewriters, Lisa's protest song, you know, Lisa needs braces, dental plan, Lenny getting punched in the back of the head. It's, it's just so many memorable moments are from that episode. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Uh, where does that land on the Jay Kogan list? Well, it's not my favorite Simpsons episode for sure. I mean, as you as you talk about it, you notice that a little bit feels a little bit rehashed from Homer's Odyssey. I mean, Homer's Odyssey was also about, you know, he become a safety inspector, I believe, from the Homer's Odyssey of the, of yep. the, the purple. It's a little bit like, I felt like, oh, it's, it's one of the last things we wrote before we left. And I felt like this is why we're leaving because we're feeling a little retreading. The jokes are great. The jokes are fun. The story is great. This, the, the song, I wrote, a, I wrote a nice little song. It got changed a little bit, but um, I like my song better than the song that ultimately we did together. 
um, my protest song was more like a, even more of a Bob Dylan protest song. Oh. Um, but I mean, if you want to grab a guitar and just play it for me right now, it's fine. I don't remember <laughs> I have a recording of it somewhere. Um, and but it was you know it's a really good episode. I remember writing the joke about uh, dental plan. Uh, you know where Homer is sort of considering whether he should do Lisa's braces. Uh, uh, and it's and so funny. It just goes on and on and on. And I really wrote it out to be about a page and a half of <laughs> that. And when they got it, Al and Mike thought it was a mistake. You know, thought didn't, thought it was a typo. <laughs> and I'm like, no, look at it again. And then they got it. They 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 uh, they shortened it a little bit, but um, it's still. To me, that's one of the bravest things in comedy is to do something long, is to do something really long and let it, let it land and let the length of it be the joke. Right. So I always love it. Yeah. I mean, the guy dropping the pencil in Homer's, you know, butt crack and then Homer just go like, oh, come on, I'm trying to think here. You know, you made me lose my train of thought. It, it's, you know, I watched it today, actually, because I just wanted to have it on my mind for this interview. Yeah. And it just kills me every time. So, I mean, it's. <laughs> Listen, it's a good episode in the, and I'm proud that people like it so much. And there's always named as a, as one of the top episodes. And that's Absolutely. Great. All fine. Again, it's a group effort. If it is one of the top episodes, it's a group of guys who did it. I'm you know, sad to say no girls, but it really was just guys. Um, and, you know, we worked hard on it and they did a good job. Everybody came through. So it's good. My, my personal favorite is Bart the Daredevil of the ones I wrote. Uh, I like it. I feel more close to it about it's a little bit more closer to my childhood and my love of evil can evil. Wally and I grew up together. So we had a simpatico about that particular episode. Um, but yeah, the, it's a, you know, I don't know if there's special meaning to that episode. You know, the, the, the you know, last exit, it's a protest. Don't let big business sort of overcome the power, all that stuff. That that's, that's good meaning. I don't know that anybody really cares about that, but that's, that's, it's in there. Oh, for and, sure. But you know, I don't, I don't want people's takeaway is if people's takeaway. It was funny. Then great. If people's takeaway, it was more than funny, even better, but it's just, I, I think, I think it's a little bit of both. I do. And you know, I, I do want to, I do want to mention this. You mentioned Bart, the daredevil. Um, you know, when I spoke to Mike Scully, he told me that that was the first episode of the Simpsons he ever watched. Yeah. And it's what made him fall in love with the show. Like before he was on staff or anything. And, uh, he said, you know, just the, you know, the whole sequence of Homer falling down the gorge and just the ambulance hitting the tree. He said it just, you know, changed his life. He just couldn't believe how funny it was. So I, I do think that episode rings, you know, a special bell for a lot of people. I, I do. I'm like glad. That Cause I, and that, that particular, uh, thing of Homer falling down the cliff and, being rescued by the copter and the copter smashing his head into the wall and then him being packed in the ambulance and then the ambulance hitting a tree and then falling back down <laughs> is one of my proudest comedic comedy moments in my life. It was a hard fought. People didn't want to, certain people didn't want to do it. They said, it's too cartoony. We back to what we did earlier. And I kept saying, no, no, he's really falling down a cliff. He's really hurting. <laughs> uh, but it, it harkened back to my heroes like Buster Keaton and, those, that's that's what we were trying to do, and and I think we accomplished it. I really am proud of of that, the falling down the cliff, and the emotional impact of him doing it. There's still a story going on, yeah, about him loving his son and, and trying to be there for his son. So it has everything for me. 
it's the, so, the truth of, of, of fatherhood and a really strong comedy. It's so great. It, it, it really is. Well, you know, I, I do want to point out, you know, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you know, you worked on a lot of shows, you know, uh, Frasier, which I love Malcolm in the middle, which I also love. I, I grew up on Frasier as well. You know, big fan of Frasier. Um, you know, what, what is it like to work on a show like that after the Simpsons? And what do you think you took with you the most from the Simpsons to writing other stuff? Well, I, I picked Frasier. I got, I was lucky enough to, when, when my writing partner, Wally Wadrowski wanted to stop writing uh, television, um, I had to sort of read, read, uh, re-up my credibility. So I read, I wrote a script and then tried to get jobs. And my first time out, I was offered a job on Seinfeld and Frasier. And I had to choose between those two places. Wow. And I chose Frasier because it was the least like The Simpsons. It wasn't as broad as The Simpsons. It was more like a play. It was a little bit more compact. I thought it would sort of give my resume a little bit of a, you know, more cred. Um, and so what I brought to The Simpsons, what I brought to Frasier from The Simpsons was almost nothing. What I brought to them was just me. <laughs> like, there's no, I, you know, I, I, I guess years of working stories and trying to sort of get stories working right, uh, that was helpful. That's what I learned at The Simpsons, long-form stories. Uh, but here, we were writing, it was the opposite of The Simpsons. We were writing long scenes in basically the same set all the time. You know, we weren't, we weren't doing big movie you know, we weren't going outside. We basically were in Fraser's apartment, his radio studio, and then one other place, like a, a coffee shop. And the scenes were really long. And the acts, sometimes the entire act was one scene, which we'd never do in The Simpsons. The Simpsons, we would do a, you know, a scene that would last a quarter of a page. Um, here, the scene was lasting 12 pages. So it was more like a play. Um, and so I don't know what I brought from it other than an open mind, uh, a, a certain style of humor and the ability to try and have fun in a room. Uh, I brought a gambling pool. Right. I think I made a Frazier gambling pool. Um, <laughs> football pool. I like that. But I'm not sure. I mean, it, it was as a writer, you're just trying to make sure that you're growing, doing something other. You know, that, the reason, one of the great advantages to leaving The Simpsons was to be able to do, you know, multicam, work with great actors, work with live live actors, to have the experience of, of doing single camera sitcoms, multi camera sitcoms, movies, sci-fi, you know, adventures, all those kind of things that, you know, many different genres. And I've tried to do that. Right. It's interesting. If you like Malcolm in the Middle, Linwood Boomer is a very interesting, charismatic guy whose storytelling ability is remarkable because he'll take a story in a direction where you don't think it's possible to go. So if you have a story where you think, well, it's either going to wind up with that character a millionaire or dead. He'll take it to a third or fourth place that's neither one of those places that you couldn't possibly have expected. So it's very wow. hard to pitch stories for Linwood because you'd pitch a story and you'd try to come up with a really amazing, interesting ending. And he'd, of course, say, no, no, too predictable. And then he'd do something else. <laughs> uh, and it was always, I was always, I learned a lot from him and learned a lot from Christopher Lloyd, the writer, not the actor, Christopher Lloyd, who was on Frasier, was my boss at Frasier. And I learned a lot at The Simpsons from all my bosses there and from every place I've ever worked. You pull all that stuff together. Yeah. I take it with me wherever I go. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, you know, as a, as a collector, which is, you know, 
uh, one of the reasons I started this uh, Instagram and Twitter that led to the podcast and all of that. Um, you know, I like to ask about merchandise a little bit. Were you, did you care at all about that stuff? Did you buy any merchandise in the early days? No, I didn't buy any merchandise. They were given, we had, <laughs> I got, I still have some, like some Simpson towels and a Simpson skateboard and some figures that was given to me. But um, no, I didn't buy anything. That would be like, you know, buying hamburgers if you work at McDonald's. It's like <laughs> just around. What happened was when we were writing the shows, Matt Groening disappeared for months at a time because he was handling almost all of that merchandise stuff. He was approving designs and making sure it was good. And, you know, he was kind of like the Walt Disney trying to figure out what was going to be. It all had a signature on it. So what was going right. to be worthy of The Simpsons? So Matt did all that. And uh, I think he did a spectacular job. Like there's a lot of really good Simpsons stuff around because Matt cared about it. He was the only one. No one, none of us gave a shit. Uh, mainly because we weren't, <laughs> we also were not profit participants on merchandising. So we weren't going to make a dime. Matt sure. was going to make money off of the merchandising. So he cared. Right. Yeah. No, it, it makes sense. Well, you know, you just, you never know. I, I, you know, I talked to some people that say, you know, they were fans of the show before they were on it and all this sort of thing, which is a different experience from yours. And some people like this and like that, but I can totally understand, you know, maybe not wanting to surround my stuff with the stuff I have to think about all day. I gave it away. I gave all <laughs> the stuff that was given to me. I basically gave to friends and family and kids and people who walked in and said, and I, and I had a bunch of stuff. Like one time Gracie films was generous to give us like a, a big bag of Simpsons crap. And we just, I wound up giving most of it away. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. And it's, I'm glad I did. I would not want to carry it around. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, some people say they have, you know, it's like, oh, it's all in my garage. It's all in my attic. And, you know, I just tell them like, hey, you know, if, if you guys want to get rid of it, I'll give you my address. Right. Exactly. I mean, it gives, some, <laughs> it gives people like you great pleasure to collect them. And and that's great. I'm I'm trying to be the opposite these days and have less of a collection of anything. I used to collect movie posters and I collected artworks. I'm trying to not collect records. I don't. Oh, yeah. stop collecting. I understand. That. I used to collect records. You know, I used to collect uh, uh, band T-shirts. I, I've like had a lot of different collections. The Simpsons is one of the things that, um, you know, I spent a lot of time like traveling and doing things where I didn't really have the time to collect something like this. And uh, about seven years ago, I, I it started real small and it just sort of happened. And, uh, you know, here I am. So I don't sometimes you just can't predict it, I guess. Yeah, that's right. But <laughs> If it gives you pleasure, there's nothing wrong with it. So it's all It good. does. Yeah. I love the Simpsons. Um, well, you know, uh, Jay, it's been awesome to uh to talk with you and and pick your brain a little bit, talk about some of your 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 episodes and just things you did on the show. I love hearing your stories. Um, you know, before we go, do you have anything you want to plug, anything you want to talk about or just tell people about? Um, what do I want to plug? I've got some shows in the in the offing. I do every Friday. I do something on Twitter called Philosophy Friday, where um, I answer questions, life questions, religion, existential crises, and of course your show business writing questions on Twitter. On uh, uh, my handle is at Jay Kogan, J A Y K O G E N, uh, on Twitter. And so every Friday, come uh, participate in Philosophy Friday. Help help us answer life's deep questions. Um, and I, I like doing that. That's kind of fun. And we may be turning that into a podcast soon, but we'll see. Oh, um, you should definitely do that. Jay, I would listen to that podcast all day. Uh, and then we're, uh, I've got some TV shows and, uh, I'm working on a show, uh, 
I don't know if I'm allowed to say yet, but it's going to premiere <laughs> on the Peacock soon. But it's a show that I'm working on that is a reboot of an old show that uh, that I never saw when it was an original show, but it's new now, new to me. Um, and uh, I also want you to listen to Charlie Cogan uh, at Spotify. My son is a singer songwriter who's got an album and some songs, and I want him to get the greatest possible audience because he's very good. Amazing. Yeah. That's it. Amazing. That's my plug. That's amazing. That's great. Yeah. Well, uh, Jay, I, you know, again, I had a blast talking to you Me and too. I appreciate you taking the time. And, um, if, when that show is going to premiere, if you'd like to do another episode or something down the line, I'll, I'll be in touch. You know, I will let you know. That'd be great. All right, man. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, Jay. I'll talk to you later. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out the official Instagram at Simpsons is greater than, or follow me on Twitter at Simpsons is great. If you're curious about me or my Simpsons collection, just search for Bart of Darkness on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again for checking this out. I'll see you next week.